five pounds. We're she rolling. was round in the places she was supposed to be round. Now, you can take the waitress or the blonde over there, but stand back, Toby. That's a size I wear. <laughs> Roger Clemens, everybody. I didn't know. I didn't know. You didn't know I fly by DJ No Request at night, did you? Is, that, <laughs> is, it, is it like, where do you normally, uh, where do, you normally uh, do your performances? So, Weddings? Long story longer. Um, I don't know. 15 years ago. I gutted a little uh, side garage I had at the house in Texas, and I um, I made it into a music room. So all the guys that came in for the rodeo, the performers, we'd get them after they'd perform, come to the house and do a little singing and carrying on. And uh, I always made them leave something, their hat, their guitar, or something they had to leave. It's like uh, winning the Masters when you have to leave a, <laughs> you know, what, what, you have to send them or leave them a, a pitching wedge or some type of iron or wood or or putters. I know you guys said you guys visit with Ben Crenshaw, so I, I'm sure Ben sent yeah something other than his prized possession putter. But anyway, so small price to pay. Yeah, that's exactly. They, right. they don't have that in baseball. Um, no, but you know, the, the, relative to that, um, when you're pitching in the World Series, All Star Game, uh, when I was going for my 300th win, the Major League Baseball had people right on top of you. And, like, they were taking balls out of play and putting the uh, hologram on them. And then so they knew exactly what that, that ball was from or which strikeout it was or obviously my 300 win. What was cool, I think I signed them a couple, two or three dozen baseballs from the game. But they, they marked and gave me a dozen to hand out to my friends from the 300 win game. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so 20 strikeout. You know, when you do a little milestone, like they took my glove and my cleats and um, – so, but yeah, really cool stuff. But uh, so the music thing, I'll get back on. I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you that it was a longer story. But um, so I get this room, and uh, I tell everybody, um, karaoke sucks. There's nothing worse than dude. Even if, even if he can sing, you know, uh, "Endless Love" or "Purple Rain," it's brutal. So there's this program called K Jams. My oldest sister is pretty techie, and I'm pretty uh, tech. Uh, savvy too so we had fun with this kgms program and it's awesome because what's cool about it is um depending on if it's toby keith singing behind me or beyonce one of the girls or whatever i have the performer singing behind you so i tee you up over them so you, this is like they're your background singer so i tell people you can be good drunk bad or indifferent you're going to sound great <laughs> and it encourages everybody to come up and sing it caught fire had a party one time like i said a few years ago at the house got a really fun uh oil field guy and it's in the oil field business and uh, does a lot for my foundation and a lot for a lot of people's foundation season ticket holder for the astros his name's jim west we call him wild wild jim west well we had about 20 in the music room he's like and his go-to song is play that funky music white boy and boogie shoes and so he wanted me to play it because it's a good crowd and he wants to get up here and shake it and show off and he's, he's good he doesn't even need the words and I don't play it for 20 minutes because I've got my songs teed up, ready to go to keep the crowd moving. And he comes leaning back over to me after maybe a little glass of whiskey or something. goes, Rock, you going to play my song or not? I want to get up here and do it. I said, I got you. Just relax. And another 20 minutes go by, and I didn't play it. And all of a sudden, my equipment shuts down. He's standing with the microphone in my music room. He goes, okay, I want everybody in this room to know that his nickname is no longer The Rocket anymore his new nickname is dj bleep bleep no request because he doesn't play anything <laughs> he doesn't play anything anyone so it's stuck i got banners uh fast forward 10 years later I, we just did two shows in times square for christmas parties 
uh, did one at Jack and Barbara Nicholas's fundraiser in uh, Virginia. And so now it's, it's just taking off, man. I throw that music on there. My goal is to get uh, everybody up out of their seats dancing, and it's a good way to kill a couple, two or three hours. It's an art form, though. Like, like it really it is. is. Hey, let me flip this yeah. around for yeah. you. Hold there you, it, go. Guys. There you go. Thank it's you. A, it's an art form, though, right? I mean, I mean, you can't just, you got to think about what music they want to hear, right? It is. I'm, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, the main songs that everybody knows the words to. And you got to know the, the age of your crowd. If I'm doing this for my younger boys, I've got to, put a little hip-hop in there too right and it's crazy because they know the words and i don't and uh <laughs> um, and they're on top of it so you got to know your group you got to uh play it and then the the songs they get on me because one of the songs i love and i play it all the time and i'm trying to show my soft side is uh, uh dancing queen yeah i mean you know so so i play that normally before the night end it has to be played and of course i get on the mic say couple skate only please clear the rink couple skate only <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and then we go to i gotta go with elvis elvis is my guy For sure. yeah it doesn't matter if skinny elvis or fat elvis i love him both of them you gotta you got a couple go-to's for the listeners oh, oh yeah there's there's a you know there's there's a bunch on elvis i i play him sometimes two songs in a row before the night ends and then my song to hint to people to get the hell out of the house and go home is uh, closing time. Oh, that's a good one. You ain't got to go uh, home, but what you got to get uh, out third of eye here. blind. There you go. Look that's at you. a great I band. To, you might need to come sit in with me. Dude, and, I'm a big music fan. You, I love that. I love that. Me too. I love. I love music. What was you know it was cool. Usually during the season, uh, the starting pitcher on the road or at home is you know kind of allowed to tee up his music in the clubhouse that day to listen to a couple hours before the game so just depends on what you like so on my playlist i had to have everything from rock and roll to classic rock right to top 40 to uh you know country obviously country love and, uh, favorite country yeah. singer anyone well toby keith's a good friend so tobe tobe's my guy and and uh he's a golfer right huh he plays a little bit uh, absolutely he? has yeah. his own golf course called belmar and there you go. there's only one week a year we don't talk and it's texas ou the red river <laughs> so we don't we lose each other's number that week and uh and we we try not to talk to each other but he he's the happiest man on the planet now because i almost had him rooting for my two boys at texas when they would play oklahoma oh. and he said uh, finally last year and he knew cody, cody was my youngest one was going to graduate he he finally looked at me and said, Rock, uh, would you hurry up and grab, uh, graduate these Clement boys so I can go to Hayton, Texas again? So, yeah, Tobe's awesome. He's uh, he's old school. When he does these uh, shows, tribute shows to, like, Merle Haggard and guys, stuff like that, it's so fun to watch him. Uh, he's so crafty in what he does. And, yeah. and he loves baseball. He's a huge Dodger fan. Yeah. Huge Dodger fan. You know, I know if the Dodgers are playing out west – uh, and he's in Oklahoma. He's up past midnight watching these guys play. He loves Dodger Blue. What uh, I, I guess I'm curious to know. You love music. Did that ever work its way into your uh, pregame or postgame, or you know, while, while you were, you know? It did. I, I love music. I just think it's a way to bring people together. Um, I've been fortunate in my career playing 24 years. I've met some really cool people through the game of baseball and golf. You know, being at the you know the golf tournament here, I know most of these guys. I played with them. Uh, like at the AT&T back then or the Bob Hope. I played in the Bob Hope probably 20 years. Wow. So I've met these guys and um so I love it. I love to watch these guys do their, you know, do their work. Um I still work with probably 20 pitchers in the big leagues, you know, we'll call a text or go golf with them. And when they ask me a pointed question, I try and give them a pointed answer and um 
you know, like I said, with you know, mainly the mental part of the game. I was always big mentally. Mentally, my deal was to just absolutely crush it mentally. I had to be focused for me and focused on the guy that uh, I'm trying to attack at the plate. And uh, I tell people that's who I was on the mound. When you see me on the mound, when you talk about being intimidating, what was really cool I was with Jack and some we, there we were fielding questions and like three or four of the first 10 questions about being intimidating Jack on the golf course and intimidating this and you're intimidating on the mound. And it was funny because he leaned over and said, you know what intimidating is? And I knew exactly where he's going. And I said, yeah, he goes, he goes, you win. I goes, you're not to intimidate when you lose, you know, intimidating when you lose. And I said, you're right. I said, um, we got guys that throw hundred miles an hour and have no clue. They're power throwers. They have no clue what they're doing out there. That's where I was fortunate through my career. I was a power pitcher, so when I didn't have my 96, 97 miles an hour, I, you know, was, my arm was lagging or dragging, whatever you want to call it. And I was sitting at 91, 92. I, I pitched, but I learned that in high school. I wasn't, I didn't throw very hard in high school. I, I matured late. I graduated when I was 17, and my high school coach was like my father figure. My father passed away when I was nine, so I was raised by very strong-willed women. My mother, my grandmother. And but my high school coach, he wasn't just a coach. He was a better teacher of the game. And I had a pretty good curveball. So when the two older guys came in throwing gas and, and then they wet the bed, coach would bring me in and I just throw strikes and throw my little Bugs Bunny curveball over. And and uh, so that's kind of how it all started for me. I was probably a better defensive end than I was a pitcher first baseman back then. But uh, it was pretty cool once I realized I was going to be able to go you know, to the University of Texas, and they're going to pay for my education because that would have been the only way I could have went to school because, you know, we didn't have, you know, mom was working three jobs. We didn't have the money to do that. So wow. I was fortunate. I got to tell you, this is like a moment for me, man. Like, because I was born in 81. I watched a ton of baseball when I was I young. It. I was an 86 Mets fan. I'm sorry, you know, but. Yeah. But that was a team, you know, and I think a lot of, like, everything you're saying, it's just reminding me of all those wonderful times as a kid growing yeah. up watching it and watching you. Yeah. And basically, through the television, being scared of you. <laughs> Do people yeah. say that to you? I don't know. I was just really focused, man. I mean, when I, you know, it's, I think it's just, again, the way I was brought up. I watched how hard my mom worked, and I knew it was my job. Even though it's a game, it was my job. I don't know that I really treated it like a job. I think my first couple of years... I was like, man, you know, if I do this right, I can, you know, really take care of my mom and my family, my extended family. And then after about the second year, I was like, okay, I got this. And now it's about winning championships and winning. And um, I loved history. Um, even though when I got drafted by the Red Sox out of Texas, um, the Astros and the Rangers were following us real close at Texas. And so when the Red Sox drafted me, I was like, where am I going? You know, I didn't look like where, you know, Boston, like, so, but my mom was great. Um, she always was into history and she wrote me a poem about Fenway Park in Boston. And the cool little story about it was funny for me was that when I got called up to Fenway Park, um, you know, we don't think with cell phones, this was 84 or whatever. And, um, taxi brought me from Logan airport to Fenway and I was had my head in a paper or something. He stopped and he goes, here you go, kid, get out. And I looked out the window and it was a brick building. And it looked like a warehouse. And I said, man, um, I'm a professional ball player. I'm going to Fenway. It's a place called Fenway Park. He goes, this is it, kid. Get your butt out of my cab. <laughs> and I got out and I saw the lights. And then I walked in and saw the big green monster and everything. So, And then fast forward to now, like it's cool for me because my boys or their friends, if they're at the house, and an old black and white film of Lou Gehrig, you know, giving a speech. The boys are like, Dad, you, you you spent seven, eight years right there where Lou Gehrig stood to give his, I go, yeah, it's, you know, it was awesome, you know, old Yankee Stadium. 
and the same thing with Fenway when they, you know, having my numbers equal to a Cy Young, uh, who I was fortunate to win his award seven times with, but um, you see Ted Williams or Yaz running around the bases. So that was all cool stuff. So, um, and then, like you said, 86, I mean, I played in six World Series. There were two of the losses were super emotional. 86 yeah. was like, man, your emotions were up down. And you, to look at the World Series to see where we, how we got there, you have to go back a week earlier when we played the California Angels because what happened to us with the one strike away with the Mets, the Angels, I mean, as I'm telling you the story, I can look across the field and see Reggie Jackson with his arm on Gene Mock and with one, one, more, more, you know, one more strike, we're going home. And Dave Henderson hits that big home run. And now my mind's going from I'm going to pack and then I'm going to be in Houston, Texas in three days, pack my house up in Boston, be in Houston in three days, to I'm pitch, I might be pitching game seven now to get us to the World Series. And then that's what happened. Then you get to the, the World Series, and I'm standing there after pitching game six. We got a lead. Uh, one of my former Texas teammates on the mound, Calvin Schiraldi, he's out there trying to mow these guys down because he was with the Mets at one time and got traded right. over to us. We actually had three of us from Austin, from the University of Spike Owen was with us. So they were calling us the Austin Red Sox. <laughs> and uh, so it was so cool. And then um, first time I've ever seen a world championship trophy, I actually went into – I always let my facial hair grow in between stars to honor my yeah. dad that passed away because he used to – tickle me with his whiskers tickle my belly and we watch bonanza you know and he'd come home and uh so i'd always not shave in between starts so after i got done pitching when i went into ice i'd shave real quick and get back to the dugout well i went back to the dugout but when i went in to shave and ice my arm you know we had a lead and they were already setting up the platform in the visiting clubhouse there at shea and you know mrs yawkey was i i, I should know her age but I, I'm, I'm guessing she was probably close to 80 they had to start walking her down because, you know, she sort of get her down by the clubhouse. And they had the, the plastic in front of the lockers and, uh, and the champagne ready to go. And I'm like, man, you know, and I'm, I wasn't real superstitious, you know, back then. But I became superstitious after that. <laughs> but And then when the Mets tied the game up, they I've never seen a clubhouse. They rushed her out like Bob Costas and the people that were going to be on the – you know, platform, they broke that platform down. They took the all the plastic off the lockers and got it out of there. And then Whoa. we ended up uh, having a rain out and then playing game seven, which we're in. But it was a fantastic series. The other one, of course, was 2001. You know, I was, yeah. I was a Yankee. I tell people, uh, they asked me actually here at this event that we're at um, about special moments. And I talked about it. Um, uh, it's the coolest thing. I mean, from a, what happened as a tragedy, I was supposed to pitch tonight at 9-11. I was a New York Yankee, right. and that was my game to pitch against the Red Sox. I was Ooh. going for my 20th win, which is a milestone for a starting pitcher. And uh was in New York City. Deb had We had a bunch of people, friends up to watch me try and go after my 20th. And like I said, it was against the, the Red Sox, so Yankee-Red Sox rivalry thing was, was cool. And then all hell broke loose in the city. And But what came of it was uh, my agents went to high school with General Myers, our four-star general, and Richard Myers, just unbelievable man. He uh, called them and said, would I go to the Middle East to see our troops? And so we brought along, asked um, Drew Carey, comedian Drew came. He was so fun to have around. He was telling jokes. But we, in, I think in six, seven days we saw, I don't know, probably 15,000 of our men and women um, young. I couldn't believe how young they were. But uh, uh, we hit that ground running and um, – you know, the Pentagon had printed up like a thousand baseballs and like a bunch of photos. So I was signing them on the way over there to hand out and throw out. 
brought baseball gloves and played catch with everybody and uh, but it was the coolest experience that I've that I've ever ever had just talking to our men and women how excited they were to be over there protecting us and do whatever's needed and to make sure that uh, I would tell you know I'm at I'm at season ticket holders from the Red Sox from the Yankees from the Blue Jays from the Astros Longhorn fans Aggie fans everybody was telling me you know who they're kind of rooting for and uh, but it was it was an unbelievable trip. They gave us a little military booklet, and I think after the sixth day we were off of it, maybe four or five minutes tops. So, but uh, that's why I tip my hat every time I do these, and I whether it's Jack's event or any of these events, I tell the story that I had my oldest brother served and uh, he's since passed, but he served at Vietnam. Uh, I had five or six uncles that served in the military, so I tip my hat. I tell people I 24 years I've, I've I consider myself a huge team player. These these men and women are the ultimate team players for us. Yeah, I agree. So, I agree. We've looked. Absolutely. We've 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 done a lot of stuff. Um, you know, w- using uh, the armed forces men and women uh, in golf as well. You know, and like kind of looking at how that can help. Uh, you know, soldiers coming back, Marines coming back. Um, you know, as a way to socialize because, like you said, it, it is a team sport. And then when you come back, you you can find yourself isolated. And golf kind of offers that uh, outlet. We found. I agree. We do some events. Um, Folds of Honor is yeah. one there in Tulsa. Uh, Major Dan Rooney does a fantastic job with that. And then we've done Helping Heroes. I've had the my foundation, the Roger Clemens Foundation, since 91. And we help at-risk kids. We've gone outside the box. We had the, uh, a family lost a, a dad and couldn't afford to bury him. So, I mean, we've done different things. But mainly we deal with at-risk kids. But when I am able to uh, donate time or, or, or go out and play in a golf event that's going to help build a soldier a home and, and, and uh, make that home wheelchair accessible or whatever it might be, uh, I mean, it's just a total different type of stress that you have. I tell people that, you know, it's fun for me to explain the game of baseball a little more in detail than just sitting in the stands and having your popcorn and beer, what's going on on the field. There's all kinds of stuff. I called. 90%, 95% of my game from the mound with my looks. I've got to listen to each dugout to make sure guys aren't doing things. There's all stuff. There's all kinds of things going on. And I took it very seriously. I got paid very well to to do what I did. And uh, I took it very seriously. And, um, but, uh, you know, again, these to, to know what our, our men and women, our soldiers do for us, man, it's it's crazy good. And uh, I just, you just have so much respect. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's go to a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, get into some golf here. All right, Precision Pro, everybody. Precision Pro Golf makes amazing golf rangefinders that are the perfect combination of price and performance. Um, listen, whenever I see someone on the range or wherever I go, if I see someone with a Precision Pro rangefinder, I see a paisano, a countryman, someone who's not interested in basically overpaying for a product. Same the same way I feel about vice balls, you know. It's like it's just like we cut out the middleman, we make a great product, and we get it out to you so that you can basically afford it. I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know. I, I just I would rather have uh, something that's good value, right? Uh, right now, the NX7 Pro is on sale. Whoa, forty dollars off. Go get it. Forty dollars off. That's a good deal. What's even better is that you can get an additional $10 off for being a listener of the podcast when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's $50 off. I mean, jeez. 
I'm going to go get some. I've said that already. Over 800 verified reviews from real golfers can't be wrong. Here's what Ty had to say about his NX7 Pro Rangefinder. He goes, uh, while waiting on the tee box in my last round, there was a hawk flying overhead. <laughs> the NX7 Pro is so fast and accurate that I was able to measure the distance to the hawk while it was moving. 178.4 yards, if you're curious. So that's about a, that's an easy six, hard seven. Um, if the NX7 Pro Golf Rangefinder can measure a hawk, it can definitely measure a flag. That's been my experience. Um, well, also Ty's experience. Uh, go to precisionprogolf.com and use coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, to get $50 off the NX7 Pro Rangefinder today. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right, one more read, folks. Adidas. Over 5 million pieces of plastic are floating in our oceans, which over time get broken down, making it easy for sea life to ingest, ultimately affecting our own food chain. So it is your problem. It's not just a world problem. It's you. It affects you. Adidas is working with Parlay to prevent plastic entering our oceans and transform it into high-performance sportswear. Mm -hmm. Shoes is coming soon. Just hold on. Hold your hats, folks. I'm not even done with the ad. Stop trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Adidas is spinning the problem into what? A solution. The thread into a thread. I don't know what that means. It's written here. It says the thread into a thread. I don't know who wrote this. Adidas Golf is bringing eco innovation to the golf course in a, the form of a special edition shoe. All right, this is legit, actually. This is the first time the Parlay shoe has been uh, a golf shoe. I've had it in um, form of a running shoe. I mean... Look, it's a it's a sick shoe that serves a purpose. Okay, that's where you get it. Um, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe. Oh, look, they already wrote it for me. The first ever golf shoe made from pla uh, recycled. Oh no, it's not called recycled. It's called upcycled. I don't know what that is. I feel like I should probably Google that. Upcycled plastic waste that was intercepted, like Jason Bourne, from the beaches and coastal communities before reaching the ocean. Dang, I didn't realize this is Jason Bourne's golf shoe. Intercepted. I mean, the, I'm a golf guy, but I also love football. Who doesn't love a classic interception, especially when it's Jason Bourne saving planet Earth? Entire upper of the shoe is made with threads spun. It's also a DJ. Amazing. From the upcycled plastic waste. My phone's ringing. Andrew Marler. Hang on. All right. Well, that was a 20-minute phone call, but you have no idea. It just went by like that. Um, anyway, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe made from upcycled plastic. I already read this because it's got the intercepted line. Intercepted from beaches and coastal communities in a world before reaching the ocean. The entire upper of the shoe is made from thread spun from upcycled plastic waste. Built is built as the Tour 360 XT, you still get great traction and stability. I feel like, what's that line from Taken? I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> they will take you. Available starting June 10th at Adidas.com, and for those headed to the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, a select number of pairs will be sold on site. 
Get into it, folks. All right, back to the show. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. So, you know, I... I you see a lot of uh, a lot of people come to golf, right? Athletes, right? Professional athletes, top of their field. They come to golf, and what's that experience like? I don't know. I mean, I I could only imagine. You've mastered one craft, and now you're going to pick up a club. What what was that like? Yeah, great question. So it's it's fun for me, even when I was what I considered a hack. I'm about a five handicap now, but I used to hit when I first started playing. I had the um, I had the McGregor Woods. I still had, I kept my first set of clubs there in my office. And, um, you know, I had a I had a 20-yard banana. I would go to the right side of the tee box and hit a 20-yard banana to get it back in play. That's just all I knew. And I really only had two lessons, And I but I learned by playing next to the Billy Andrades and the Davis Loves and the Brad Faxtons. These guys had me out. I mean, I still remember I had been playing maybe six months, and, and I don't know how many rounds that is, but I was playing – I get a phone call from Billy Andre, and he says, um, I want you to go be my partner at AT&T Pebble Beach. I start laughing. I go, that sounds fun, Pebble Beach. It's awesome. He goes, uh, what's your handicap? I go, I don't even, I don't have a handicap. He goes, but if you had to guess, I said 22, 24. <laughs> he goes, no, you're not. I go, uh, Billy, I'm like a 22 handicap. You've seen me. I hit my big banana and stuff. He goes, we'll, we'll work on that, but you're an 18. Yeah, that's the max, right? <laughs> You're dead on. So you, you, can't, you can't be more than I said, okay, I'm an 18, but I'm not. And I tell you what, I had pneumonia after four rounds out there trying to keep my ball. And I didn't realize there was going to be five people deep on some of the fairways on each side, right where I'm in. They're all leaning in. Yeah. with their head and I go people come on yeah I said I'm fixing to just absolutely you're gonna have Titleist on your forehead here yeah. in a minute you know or something did you ever yell wild pitch <laughs> <laughs> well you have to hit your foul balls there don't you <laughs> no man I, I I was nervous because like I whistled one right over top of the crowd and uh, you know there's some fans out there and one of them's like uh, hollers yeah rocket I hope you got your uh, insurance paid up <laughs> and I'm like wait a minute if I smoke somebody out here it's my fault it's i gotta fault. pay for their teeth no no yeah but they I, bought I a ticket know. yeah exactly they went for the ride yeah now we know that for sure but like 86 we didn't right. i didn't know that yeah and so but yeah so it was but to your point is um it was great i love playing like in january throughout january before i went to spring training in february because once i did get a little clue on how to hit the golf ball um it really helped me focus because like you said we're out of our element you know i'm not but I'm watching these guys. I was always very vis- visual person. I would look at, um, you know, photos of Tom Seaver or Nolan Ryan back then. We didn't have all the big video back 84, 85, 86. So I was watching these guys, you know, there's still shots of how they're using their lower half. And so the same thing when I'm standing right, right next to a dude that's, you know, playing for money and I'm in his office and I get to watch these guys work and how they break down the golf course we're not just launching it and it never makes sense it still doesn't make sense to me that if you swing easier it goes 10 yards farther no. doesn't make sense so i can't figure that one you, know, you, you talked about nolan ryan did you ever mess with tom house i didn't i i met tom house a few times He's and, a uh, yeah he, he does uh, we, i was you know again some of his theories work for me some of them don't yeah and it's the same thing when i teach um, a seven-year-old or a college dude or the the talk or the the mental part of the game like i said physically you got to be there mentally. You got to be over the top. 
you got to be locked in. And then your last thing that you have to deal with in sports, really for me, is your emotions. And you have to try and keep those and in, in channel them in a, in a great way. And, you know, 24 years, I tell people, I showed my backside a handful of times. But, you know what, I care. I care about it. And uh, I really care about it. And so... Uh, you know, I'd have to call home a few times. Mom would say, son, can you put your glove up in front of you? know, that's when all this started. You know, everybody's doing this. <laughs> yeah. I said, no, Mom, I was saying vacuum. That's what vacuum. I was saying. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. That's so, great. But, uh, but I had fun with it. And um, like I said, that's, that's I tell people, that's what I did. It's not who I am as a person. But when I'm representing your city or I'm representing you when I'm doing something, I take it extremely serious. And uh, I'm going to make sure whether – even when I retired and unretired those three times, whatever it was, <laughs> if somebody like a Brian Cashman and the Yankees didn't call me, I, I was in my garage the last time he called, and I was like, there's no way. He goes, how long will it take you to get ready? I go, are you kidding me? He goes, no, I need you in my fourth or fifth slot, but I need you in the clubhouse, too, to keep everybody and get everybody on the same page so we can Whoa. make so if it wasn't, he goes, uh, you were like kind of like an interior mental old. coach. Yeah, I was like 45 years old, too. I was like, man, I, awesome. I run a. We have a place at Memorial Park at home that, you know, it's a, it's a three-mile track. I walk, jog it a lot, but it's nowhere near that to find out if I'm going to be able to pitch a major league season again. So that was stressful, and um, but uh, it was fun. It was fun getting back and seeing the guys and getting in the mix, but a lot of, a lot of people I respect in a the game there. Do you have any, like, regrets from your career or anything that you wanted to happen that didn't? No, I, I don't. Like I said, I think I'd have been doing something. If I didn't play ball, I would have been doing something with history. I love history. And through that game and really golf, um, I mean, come on. I, I got to be really close with the Bush family at home. I mean, they lived a couple, especially Gampy, we call him Gampy Senior Bush, 41. Um, you know, staying with him at Kenny Bunkport and trying, you know, I was always trying to get um, one of his golf clubs and I tried to bid on, I was a big JFK fan too. And I, and being in Boston, I got to meet a lot of the Kennedys and actually Deb, my wife's really uh, still friends with, with uh, uh, some of the Kennedys. And it's, it was just cool to just see it, to see the history. I have, I have little pieces of history throughout the house that I've collected. I really didn't collect autographs unless another guy would ask me, to sign stuff for them personally or for their foundation or their golfing event. And then once they opened the door, I'd say, okay, I need four things. You got to send, because I collected them for my four boys, really. I wanted them to have it for their house. So it was real cool. Emmett would say, hey, send me a jersey. And I'd say, hey, dude, can you send me four footballs? So he'd sign <laughs> up four footballs. Or one night when Larry Bird retired, I, the, the club, he put a silver 33 on my hat. And somebody from Larry Bird's office or somebody, it might have been Larry, somebody called our clubhouse before the game was over. What happened was the, the our clubhouse guy put a silver 33 to honor him. I was starting that night at Fenway, and uh, I think I struck out the side or something. The opposing manager said it was distracting. I had to take it off. No. So when I took it off, the they called, and I think Larry wanted it for his bar in French Lick, Indiana. <laughs> And it was really cool because he sent me back a couple basketballs. So, and that was fun for me being in Boston at that time too. I mean, not only were we getting after it, yeah. but you know, I'm watching, I'm watching Michael Magic and, and Larry get after it in the garden. So what a cool. city! Yeah, pretty cool. You uh, you talked about your kids a lot. I mean, they're in they're in sports. Yeah. At what point do they realize who Roger Clemens is versus who their dad is? Yeah, I think they say it perfect. There's a, there's a couple sayings. Some of them almost make sense. Some don't, but. Like I tell people that if you didn't know they were my boys, you wouldn't know it. They they don't introduce themselves like um, 
they're my sons or walk around like that. And, I, and again, it's just their upbringing. In the same way I was brought up by my mom and my grandmother. Um, they, they wear the name loud and proud. Um, I teach them to be as tenacious as possible when they're on the playing field. Uh, I mean, my youngest one, Cody, I remember when he was like five, six years old, I got him YMCA ball. And we're out there playing. They're getting, they go up and down the court two or three times. He makes a couple, like three baskets in a row. And I take my eye off of him. The coach is screaming at me saying, hey, Rock, your kid just walked out the door. He left. He walked off the court and went through the double door. He's like six. I go chase him down. He's in the parking lot standing by the car. I go, what are you doing, Cody? And he goes, I'm not playing in this league, Dad. And I go, what's the problem? He goes, they don't keep score. <laughs> he, he didn't want to He didn't want to play because they didn't keep score. He said, what's, what's the point? You know, so. Right. Uh, but all the boys that uh, played, uh, you know, sports, that's the way, you know, you bring them up. I want to be the sweetheart off the field um, uh, and, and be as tenacious as they need to be on the field and, and, and play, it, play it well and play it the right way. But um, they, they, I think they handle it well. I think, you know, like I said, that, you know, there's, you'll, you'll have it some way on both sides. Some people can, can be jealous. But I think those same people, once they get to know you, uh, it changes. But – if I'm facing my college teammate, which I have many times, if you know one of my college teammates are at the plate, I'm trying to punch him out, and I'm going to make him feel uncomfortable at the plate, and he's trying to hit one back off my kneecap. I know he is. So when we're <laughs> golfing in the off season, he can brag about do it. Do they try to do that? They try to oh, they try to hit you? Absolutely. That's that's foul hey. Let play, me tell you man. what that ball. I turn it loose at 94, 95. I can't tell you how many balls that went by my earlobe sound like bacon in a frying pan <laughs> at about 133 miles an hour. I got hit on the shin one time. And the scout told me our scout had the speed gun on it, and he said uh, you threw it in at 94, it hit you at 122. Jeez. And and I, I wanted to cry, but my my molars hurt. I mean, they were like I had a pulse <laughs> in the back. I was like, oh my god, that what hurt. Did, what did you think when you saw Chapman throwing 104? Yeah, well, he was represented by my agents, and we were going to have a talk and, and talk to him about what we were doing. And I said, uh, you know, he was having trouble throwing strikes. I said, you know, he was sitting, you know, throwing 104, 105. Yeah. I think at one point he got license plates on his vehicle that said 105. <laughs> and I said, hey, if you back it down to like about 99 to 100. Yeah, you throw strikes. Throw strike, <laughs> it, it might help. But, guy, hey, guys, it doesn't matter. I could try and tell these guys now, especially how it is now with guys, starters may go five, six innings. And then they turn it over yeah. to a bullpen. And you guys coming out of the bullpen, all of them are throwing 98 to 100. And they're power throwers, so if we can stretch those guys out, we may be able to get to them. But uh, it really doesn't matter how hard you throw because guys in the big leagues, they're good at the plate, man. They can put wood on a bullet, I'm telling you. I'm, they, these guys, time, they get your foot down, they can time you up, and you see where they're launching these balls now, <laughs> this exit velocity and all this stuff. What's the craziest you've ever thing you've ever seen on the diamond? Like I saw back-to-back homers – and then I saw a third one hit the wall, and I was like, no way. Literally three pitches. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen on a diamond? Oh, the craziest thing for me, I think I was like 25 years old, and I struck a couple guys out in Fenway, and I turned around, and my whole infield gentleman made turned back around, and that girl with the big breast came running out of the stands <laughs> to get a kissing bandit. That's the craziest <laughs> thing for sure that's happened to me. Nothing right. to be based probably. What the best was when she jumped out of the stands and she came running at me and she had like two stop signs, two stop signs going at, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So she hugged me and I think what I did was I pointed back because Tony Pena was my catcher and Tony was just, he's fun loving and Tony's always up to something, you know, you know, Tony loved it that we were intentionally walking a guy with his hand out, <laughs> but I knew that he's going to sit back down. And I was going to throw a strike to strike the guy out. So the hitter thought we were going to walk him. 
it was like a two-two count or three-two count. We ended up throwing a strike, and he he loved it. But so she runs out and gives me a hug and stuff. And I said, hey, before you get arrested, I want you to run back in there and lay just lay one on my catcher because Tony's in there with his mask up, just <laughs> right. laughing and smiling that this is happening. Fans are going crazy, and I said, "Go, go, give my catcher just lay one on him." Well, she thought that I said the umpire, so I think she she Uh-oh. passed Tony and went and hugged and gave the umpire. I had the biggest strike zone the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is the is the pitcher catcher relationship similar to a player caddy? I mean, is is that an insult or is that is there something there that's similar? I would say it's similar. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, uh, you know, you have to be on. You know, again, the people that I would think for my career, so many teammates. Uh, it's it's not an individual thing at all, and and uh, definitely, uh, I can't tell you how many great catchers I had that paid attention to detail. Because, like I said, I called a lot of my game from the mound just by looks. Why a foul ball is going off, or uh, you know, foul ball here, foul ball there. Wait, you could see the way a foul ball goes off and change your well, spin? No, no, it was by my looks. It was straight by my own giveaway all my trades because I got some of the guys doing it, so it's easy to call a game that you'd be on that. So you're not shaking a guy off all the time. Most of the time, I would shake off. It's because the catcher wanted me to shake to try and put a little thought, another thought into oh. the hitter's mind. It's like a double negative. That's it, exactly. So Whoa. we would do, uh, but my catchers again, they were they had such great hands. Um, gosh, I can I, I you know there's just too many to name. All of them were really really good. Um, uh, you know, like I said, they were, they were, I, I mean, I threw a heavy ball too. And when I threw my two seam fastball, man, it would really bury in there on those guys' thumbs, man. And, uh, they got a padded mitt. Yep. They had a plastic thing in there too, like a, a mold, a piece of hard plastic mold that they molded around their thumb that, you know, because you damage it there. If you miss hand. it, just about an inch. Oh, it's, it's such a deep bone bruise that really they couldn't even barely hold the bat to go hit. So that that would affect them at the plate when they were trying to hit. But the guys that really had quiet hands and sat still, because you know back then you got to understand a little tip for the viewers. Some of the umpires still do it. I think you'll see an, uh, a big league umpire sit down behind the catcher and he'll put his hand on the catcher's back to sit down and squat. Kind of a balance thing. You know, some of them don't touch the uh, catcher, but some of them will lay their gently lay their hand on the catcher's back. Well, then if the catcher, when he's doing it, if he just slides a little bit and it's a close pitch, he's going to feel that that ball is outside. I might not get that call. Oh, so it's so, more like this. Yeah, so I want that catcher just to trust his hand, sit still with that hand here. Not windshield wipers, which some of these guys have. they got some <laughs> windshield wipers. They can't hold the ball for Because then they, then, they, then they basically bring it back in, and that looks that's like it. a ball. That's it, and they're taught to bring it back to the chest and bring it up. But yeah. if their body's fairly still and they're just trusting their hands, it makes the world and trust in your pitch too. Yeah, and then everything looks even when you do miss a little bit a ball outside or whatever it is, it looks like a strike. You might even get a jump out of an umpire like he's starting to call the strike. <laughs> yeah, favorite ump. Well, I had two twenty strikeout games. Uh, Vic Valtaggio, Vic said that uh, he had to ice his shoulder down after I struck out twenty because he was doing this the whole time. <laughs> so he said he even had to ice down after the game. So there were some there's some great umpires that had great character. I always loved the umpires that when we were having a, a disagreement on the strike zone, when they would come out and I'd get after them, they'd get back after me, you know, not take it personally or not throw you out. Right, right. Like um, Allow a little back yeah, and forth. Yeah, we had one, Durwood, Merritt Durwood was, you know, God rest his soul, he was awesome too because I said, man, that was a good pitch to come out. And I said, Durwood, that's a really good pitch. And he goes, it even sounded like a strike rocket. I said, well, then keep calling it. If you, if you, he goes, I didn't see it. He goes, I didn't see that, and you threw it pretty hard, but it's it sounded like a strike. 
so uh, you talked about score a lot, uh, you know, with with your son, right? And yeah. and Cody and playing yeah. and playing ball. Yeah. yeah. Is that golf for you? What's what's up with golf for you? Where where are you at with it? You're a five. Where are you at with golf? Yeah, I love golf. It's I've met uh, far more business opportunities through the game of golf. Um, that's what I do now with my foundation. I love doing the the events with my foundation. Not that I don't like the banquets. I tease people these banquets that you go to and you get the uncooked piece of steak and the cold piece of chicken. You buy an auction item that the time you get ready to go on it is expired. Or, you know. So what we've done now is I do, um, you, you can, you know, go to my foundation and see it. It's fun for me because uh, I auction myself off for golf, whether it be in Houston, where they come to Houston, and I play a round of golf. They all get some signs and swag bag and cool stuff. Sometimes I invite them to the house, let them go upstairs, take pictures with the Cy Youngs, Whoa. and then I put them in my buddy's suite for a game. And, you know, like say a couple months ago or last season towards the end, played the Cubbies, so the the group that bought bought the, the package, this was actually a BP package. The second one's a batting practice experience. So Whoa. I can either come and go to a college field or a high school field or whatever. I have an indoor and outdoor facility at my house at home in uh, Houston. So what we do is we bring them in. They fly in from noon to one. If it's grownups, this, this group was from Chicago. So we planned it around when the Cubbies were playing the Astros, which was perfect for them. So they flew in. He brought 12 of his businessmen, so they were all crazy and ready to go. So if it's grown-ups, I feed them Mexican food and margaritas. <laughs> I throw BP to them for an hour, and then they go up and take pictures with the uh, Cy Youngs, and then they go to a uh, suite and enjoy the game. It's a great package, and they, they go crazy. Had a couple guys do it three or four times. If the group, like they did uh, one time, the guy brought his son's 15-year-old team. So he brought the whole team in. I did the same thing. I feed them uh, Powerades and James Coney Island <laughs> and uh, keep it real there. And then we kind of do the same thing. The golf outings are great. Four hours. We golf and mess around. Um, I've gone to a couple guys where he said, listen, I I'd rather you come be my guest and my member guest. So I've done that too. That's so cool. it's just better. And then, you know, like I said, I don't mind the sit-down events, but I'm kind of done with those. These little packages that we do now, which – Normally, and we'll probably do it again this year, the Red Sox auction me off. I still work with the Jimmy Fund, which is their big deal yeah. there at uh, Fenway. And they auction me off in-game. And this experience, you, you just it's, you can't even – I mean, the donation is, is nothing. I mean, they pay a lot to do it, and they split it with my foundation along with the Jimmy Fund. I go to Fenway Park, stand on my own stomping ground mound where I got my nickname and made my name. And I throw an hour batting practice to this group at Fenway Park. They get the hit. And I tell them, I go up to the mound, I go, I let them hit a little bit because they're already nervous. And then I step up there and I go, you guys are standing right where Ted, where Babe Ruth, you're standing right, you're, you're taking BP at Fenway Park. One guy finally ran, I threw him a pie in there about 50 miles an hour, and he hit like the base of the wall at the Green Monster. I thought he was going to faint. And it just barely hit, just barely hit. I said, it looks closer on TV, doesn't it? Because he was trying like hell to get it up there. But he hit the base of the wall, and he went crazy. And, uh, and then the Red Sox take him on an inside tour, feed him lunch, and then they bring them back for the ball game that night. So it's, right. it's an unbelievable – I love it just for the fact that it's an experience that you're going to have as a fan or, a, like I said, your businessman's group, your whoever, whoever it might be. So – I yeah. love doing that, and and it's and it's golf, man. I love golf. I love being outdoor. I've gotten to see the best of the best courses, playing with some really cool people. Uh, played my fastest round of golf up at Kenny Bunkport with President Bush, Senior Bush, 
41. I think uh, we played in two hours and six minutes. No practice swings. You drive right to the ball. He was president at the time. And the story holds true that, yeah, he was president, so we're giving him every three-footer. <laughs> but then when he wasn't president, he went to pick it up and said, ah, ah, uh-uh. you got to putt that. Yeah. Former president. Yeah. What, uh, you got, the Scottish Open is held uh, this year at a very Good special call. place for you. I see you. I yeah. see you. Yeah. Uh, Scottish Open, we, um, along with uh, Paul Savardi, Jerry Savardi, his brother's actually really uh, taken this and ran with it for us over there. But we have a course called Renaissance or Renaissance. Um, we got the property a number of years ago right next to Muirfield. And um, I knew I was going to like golf in Scotland. I still haven't been to Ireland. I want to get to Ireland, too, because I talked to some of the pros, and uh, they've invited me over there. But This is um, a good year to go. It is a good year to go, right? <laughs> so we got the Scottish Open. We were awarded the Scottish Open at Renaissance. The, the, the listeners, the viewers will see uh, our golf course this summer on TV. And um, uh, But... You know, Paul and uh, all of them did had a great vision over there, and the, the course is fantastic. I lo- we usually try and get over twice a year, member, 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 guest. And those folks over there, the, the locals that are members, they are serious about their golf over there, man. So, and then of course, DJ No Request had to show up. I said, Listen, you got golf, and there's you guys drink a lot over here, <laughs> right. so we're gonna add one more element. And they looked at me like the first two years, they're like, Nah, this, nah. But then I threw in a little Elton John and a little, oh, you, you know what I'm saying, a little Michael. You got to ease him in. Yeah, got him a little Gordon Lightfoot. You know, right, these, right. I, I didn't have them all in my rotation, <laughs> but now I got them in my rotation. Do you do Spotify? Uh, yeah, I gotta sure. get on your playlist. Yeah, yeah I, I'm big I, I in the don't do it, but I listen. I, I obviously right. pull stuff. You don't make Spotify. playlists on Spotify? No, 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 no. This is all K jams. This is like, I mean, okay, I, yeah, I gotta I get in on this yeah. when we're done. So I mean, uh, I, I have to show. I got busted. Uh, they had somebody show up and said. Uh, did a little article on uh, somebody was there watching me saying that uh, the Rocket Man was doing. They called it karaoke, but like I tell people, karaoke sucks. This is way even <laughs> if you're good at karaoke. Like yeah. I told you, no. Now my little sister sang a little bit in uh, uh, a couple choirs. She's not allowed to go first because she's really good. So she's too good. Yeah, she's got to sit for an hour. Yeah, so no, she doesn't you got to ice them a little bit. Yeah, she can't scare everybody <laughs> off. So. But, uh, hey, it's a way to kill three hours. But we now, when uh, DJ No Request shows up in Scotland, it's like, yeah, Rocket, what, 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 what night is, uh, what night are we singing? I go, yeah. They won't go home either, man. Some of those guys, they'll stay there. They stay there a long time. They don't, they don't get it when I play closing time. And, yeah, it doesn't mean the same thing to no, them. it doesn't. Apparently, the meaning of closing time isn't about a bar. No, it's did you not. did you hear? That? I don't know yeah. what it is. It's something yeah. else. Yeah, it's something else. It's something weird. Yeah. Um, I normally ask people when we finish up the pod to say to write a letter to golf, but I kind of think you should write a letter to baseball. Start it off, dear baseball. Uh, dear baseball, um, thank you for letting me be the oldest living teenager. Uh, you know, I got to feel like a kid for twenty four years, and. Uh, it all started with a, a red glove that my mom, working her butt off for three jobs, got me with a sweet pair of cleats. And, uh, and thank you for my brothers and sisters making sacrifices so little brother could uh, do his thing. And, uh, but I, I think if you ask them, I, I gave it back to them threefold uh, for them uh, following me around the country and getting to watch me. And uh, so that's, that's what I would say, dear baseball. Thank you for all my wonderful teammates. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, start trying to be an individual and beat their chest to how good they were. And I did this and I did that. You didn't do anything without all the great teammates you had. Yeah, I would be nothing. My teammates, Bruce Hurst, when I struck out 20, gave me my nickname, the rocket. 
and, uh, and you know went from there. So and dear baseball, thank you for letting me play for some of the coolest teams that the you know four teams. I wanted to play my entire career in Boston, but it was a blessing that uh, when they kind of the, the 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 guy there ran us off. Uh, and said it was going to be the twilight of my career or something. It was a long twilight, thank God. <laughs> and uh, and thank you know thankful Mr. Steinbrenner came to Houston and said you want to be a Yankee or don't you? Those years were fantastic. But uh, four, like I said, four wonderful teams, two rich in tradition and history that you could ever have with the Red Sox and the Yankees. I had two wonderful years in Toronto when the owner there, Mr. Beeston, came down and asked me to get you know get up there and play for the Blue Jays. Loved it, and then retired. And then unretired and got to play for my home team for three years at my advanced age, probably three of the better years I had pitching at, at the age I was at. So, uh, yeah, that would be dear baseball. And what's cool is it's not a once upon a time. You hear all these other stories that are so out there that are so ridiculous. They start with once upon a time. This one, this one started dear baseball. There's not that many people who have retired and come back. There's only two, right? Maybe three? Oh man, I don't know. That's a good question. MJ. I try. Yeah, yeah, he you did. And, it. MJ, and then, and then I did. Yeah, it's good company. I think Brett Favre did it more than I oh, did. Right. Didn't he? That's right. That's right. That's right. Favre, Favre. That's great. Favre. And you guys, uh, each uh, each a different sport. So it's really cool, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to spend yeah. some time with you. This is awesome. I didn't know I was going to rock a podcast in a in the back of an SUV, but we did it. <laughs> It's good. It's a good spot. I mean, it's cozy. Yeah. It's quiet. I'm gonna have to remember this. I might have to do a little little uh, K Jams uh, DJ No request. It, Dude, music I, I think in the we car. sound good through here. Like it's like good. I said, no, you've got a great voice. You're yeah. interesting and you're interested. So I really appreciate yeah. it, man. I look forward to hanging out Crazy. with you again. Appreciate, it, baby. Thank you. Let's, let's play some golf. I love. You know, More I'm a five too. Let's go, dog. So we're going straight up. Let's go. I saw you know Baumgartner. You know Brian Baumgartner. Yeah. So we go. I go. Uh, he goes. Well, we got to play for something. And I was like, all right. And and I go. What do you want to play for? And he goes. Whatever makes you uncomfortable, and I was like, uh, "That's different for you and me." But uh, anyway, we, we we figured it out. We actually pushed after nine holes. I like holes. that. I like yeah. that. So when it rains like this, I was just teasing the, the, the pros over there. When it rains like this, there's a bowling alley near. We do that too. I mean, but we don't care that we only bowl 130. But we we we, we play we play hundred dollar strikes, fifty dollar spares. That's all that matters. You're just yeah. trying to strike and spare, dog. That's a big right? game right there. Uh-huh. It's a, I mean, I'm down. I'm no, down if you, one. If you play for twenty bucks and you show up with only ten, that's pre- pressure's relative, right? <laughs> it's true. Right? It's all relative. So, yeah, hey, man. I, I look forward it. to a game, dude. Appreciate it. Let's Thank do you. it. Take care.